you are exploring Christianity, the story of Jesus and the church and all of that, February 11th, you can sign up downstairs in the lobby area or you can just uh, talk to one of us on staff. We'd love to talk to you about it. Now, we wanted to start off our year talking about a prayer and we're doing a series, uh, six-week series on, on uh, the Lord's Prayer and we're calling it Pray Like This. And we wanted to start our new year with a focus on prayer. Uh, this past week we had three nights of prayer. First time we've done that, it was fantastic, and we're preaching on it uh, over the uh, course of this month and, and a little bit after. Uh, because many people, when I have conversations with them, when I look at my own life, many one of the things that we're most dissatisfied with in the spiritual life is the, our lack of prayer or the, the kind of how much we pray. And we want to grow in that, and so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to focus us on this. And the Lord's Prayer is so simple that a, a, a three-year-old can memorize it, and yet it's so profound that uh, scholars are writing thousands of pages on it. And so we want to look at uh, what does this mean to live this, not just to pray this, but to live this. And last week we talked about the Our, our Father as really the foundation of this prayer. Today we're going to look at the phrase, Hallowed, how hallowed be your name. And so um, every week we're going to be praying this together as we, as we begin our, the message time. We're not just reading it, we're praying it. There's no better way to approach Scripture than to pray Scripture, to allow God to... You know, speak to us as we are reading these words. And so, together, let's, let's, let's read this uh, prayer together as we go into this message. And so, together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Imagine with me for a moment you were a huge fan of golf. I know there's some golfers who come to New Life who play every now and then. But you, let's say you bought golf magazines, you watched instructional videos, you watched the golf channel, you played wherever you, whenever you can. And one day you get a message on your cell phone from a guy named Tiger Woods offering to fly you to California to give you some tips on how to improve your game. He'll spend a weekend with you, and, and he will help you to personally become a better player. Now, if you receive that message on, the, on your phone, first you'd probably think it was a prank, but if it was true, you, 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 you'd absolutely say, yes, without a shadow of a doubt, I'll fly out to California because I want to learn how to uh, play from the best player there is out there. And the same excitement as we think about prayer should fill our hearts as we think about prayer, because uh, that, that same excitement should fill us when we think about prayer and learning from Jesus about how to pray, because Jesus was not just a master of it, Jesus was the master of it. And at, at Jesus' feet, we can learn how to pray with greater passion, how to pray with greater depth, how to pray with greater fruitfulness. And we need to sit at the feet of Jesus, because as central as the Lord's Prayer is, Christians and non-Christians know this prayer, there's a lot of confusion about what it means to pray it. And so today, we're probably going to look at the, the second the segment of the Lord's Prayer that's probably the, uh, the most confusing out of them all, the one that there's most misunderstanding, we're going to talk about hallowed be your name. Now this word hallowed is, is not a word that comes up often in our vocabulary. It's not a word that we use on a regular basis. For some of us, the only time that we use it or, or come anything close to it is around October when we're thinking about candy corn and Halloween. And that's the only time we, we think about what it means, the word hallowed. And so it's no surprise that we get this word wrong on a regular basis. I recently heard of a story of a parent who said that when their kid, their son, would pray the Lord's Prayer, he would start the Lord's Prayer like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, Howard, be thy name. 
makes sense. We don't say this word. It's like, I guess his name is Howard. You know, it's just like his God's name must be Howard. And so we're going to explore today what does it mean to pray hallowed be your name. And I'm convinced that if we can grasp what Jesus is teaching us in this, in this prayer, I'm convinced that it will change the way we live in the world. I'm convinced that it will change the way we parent. I'm convinced it will change the way we view our money. I'm convinced it will change the way we view our possessions, the way we view our education, the way we view our jobs, the way we view our lives. It will change everything from this point on. And so the question I want to look at is what does it mean to pray God's name be hallowed? What does it mean to live as well that God's name be hallowed. And it is here in Matthew chapter 6 where we pick up. And last week I talked about Matthew chapter 6 as the context, as sort of the background uh, data that, that flows out of this prayer that Jesus teaches us. And in Matthew chapter 6, a few verses before the Lord's Prayer, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then Jesus, out of that place, says, I'm going to give you three words, pray like this. And then He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, as we talked about last week, the Lord's Prayer is given as a response to a question that the disciples asked Jesus. As the disciples were walking with Jesus, they noticed he had incredible passion. They noticed he had incredible power. They noticed he had incredible intimacy with God. And as a response, as a result of this, they made a connection that Jesus must have this power. Jesus must have this passion. Jesus must have this intimacy. And it must be because of the life of his prayer. They saw the way that he prayed. And so as a result of observing how he prayed, they asked him a question. Lord, could you teach us how to pray? Now, I talked last week that this is, would be a strange question for Jewish young men to ask because they would have grown up learning how to pray. They would have grown up knowing books of the entire Bible, not just Jesus wept and not God so loved the world. They look, they're talking about quoting the book of Deuteronomy. They're quoting the book of Exodus. And so they would have learned how to pray growing up. But there was something about Jesus' life that when they saw him, they said, we've been doing it all wrong. Lord, could you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus hears that request, and before he tells them how to pray, Jesus tells them how not to pray. And he starts talking about a few things that they should not be doing. Now there's a show on uh, the TLC network that Rosie introduced me to a few years ago. It's called, what, you know, What Not to Wear. And it's become one of my favorite shows. I love this show now. I say, I'll, I'll watch it with you all of a sudden. We're putting it on our DVR when we had our DVR. I'm watching it and everything. And the premise of the show is very simple. There are two hosts that they, they meet someone who needs a change in wardrobe, needs a change in style. And so the, the thing that they do is they do not take them to the mall first and say, here's what you need to wear. This will look good on you. The first thing that they do is they go into the person's house. They go into the closet and say, this is not, this is not good. This is from the 70s. This doesn't fit anymore. We shouldn't wear this. They throw out everything from the closet, and then they go, all right, let's go to the mall and find something that's more appropriate. Let's give, you, let's give a vision of what can be. This is essentially what Jesus is doing when he teaches us this prayer. He says, before I can teach you how to pray, i got to teach you what not to pray. I have to throw some things out the closet of your life, spiritually, so to speak, so that we can replace it with things that, the, that will reflect the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, you got to throw two things out your spiritual closet, as it were. You need to throw throw out praying like a super religious person, and you need to throw out praying like a superstitious person. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites in the street. 
who want to be seen by their prayers. Don't pray with fancy words and don't pray to be seen in the street. Don't pray as a super religious person. And then he says, but not only that, don't pray as a superstitious person. Don't pray as the pagans do, thinking that they can use a kind of formula to manipulate God, to get God to do what they want him to do. Don't pray as a super religious person. Don't pray as a superstitious person. Jesus says, don't do that. Pray like this. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer. Now last week I said that there are two ways of praying this prayer. One way, very simply, is to pray this, to pray like this, to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. And I believe uh, Jesus means that when he, when he tells us this. And I believe that uh, by the end of this uh, series, hopefully that you have memorized this, not just to, to pray it in a thoughtless kind of a way, but to pray it contemplatively, to pray it thoughtfully, to pray it meditatively, that these words would begin to uh, hit us and, and move us in deep ways. But not just praying this prayer word for word. I believe the other way to pray it, that this prayer is to be a model. This prayer is to be a framework for how we live in the world. Not just spitting it out, spewing it out back to God, but also how do we live these, these words on a regular basis. And so Jesus says, if you're going to pray this prayer the right way, it has to begin with two words. It has to begin with our Father. Amen. And if we mess those two words up, if we don't get those two words right, the rest of the prayer is bound to fail. But if you get those two words right, the rest of the prayer is going to flow. Because the God that we pray to is a God of great compassion. The God that we pray to is a God who is a loving father. And if you can get that right first and foremost, everything else is going to flow. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so from the first phrase of the prayer, our father, we move to the first request. And the first request of the Lord's prayer are these words here. Hallowed be your name. That's a request. Another way of saying it is this. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be hallowed. Now I want you to notice something. The, the first request of the prayer is for God's name to be hallowed. Now if I were crafting the prayer, if you were crafting the prayer, we would probably begin the prayer like this. Our Father who is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Or we would say it this way. Give us this day our daily bread, our Father in heaven. Give me my stuff first. I have some needs. Give me this day my daily bread. And then, but Jesus said, no, no, no. When you're praying this prayer, we begin by relationship. We begin with intimacy. We begin with the trusting of God who is our Father. And out of that place, we pray that his name be hallowed. Now, another way of saying it, it would be seen like this. That God, to hallow God's name means that God's glory and his name is the first desire of our hearts. The glory of God's name is the first desire of our hearts. Now, the word hallowed just simply means to, to be regarded as holy, something to be regarded as sacred, to be highly respected, to be glorified. And in ancient times and, and today, people would use that, uh, other words for God so as not to mistake his name, so as not to mispronounce his name, because they reviewed it as so sacred. Even today, I get emails from people when they write the word God, they write the word God like this because they, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a way of saying God's name is sacred. God's name is holy. God's name should have the utmost respect. Now, after the first service here, someone gave me a bunch of pennies. And um, he came up to me, a Filipino man, he came up to me and said, hey, hey, Pastor Rich, can I show you my story and tell you what I do? I said, and he got, I have these pennies in my hand. He started showing it to me. And he goes, you know why I collect these pennies? I said, I have no idea where you collect these pennies. He goes, my wife, you know, asks me all the time, why do you collect these pennies? And he says, when I walk in the street, every penny that I see, I pick up. And he said, the reason I pick it up 
is because the name God is on the penny. And I respect God. And I want to honor God. And anything associated with God shouldn't be on the floor, people stepping on it. I thought, this man is hallowing God's name. I'm throwing pennies on the floor, you know, and this guy (laughs) is hallowing God's name. And so on one level, to hallow God's name means that we regard his name as sacred. And as you know, our society does not regard regard God's name in this way. And so in, in one respect, that's what it means to hallow God's name. But I want you to notice something else. Jesus teaches us to pray this very intentionally. And the first request should flow not from a focus on our needs, but for the glory of God's name. Now, Dallas Willard has said, a, a former philosophy professor in the uh, University of Southern California, he said these words, to the extent that God's name is exalted in the minds and hearts of people and his very name is cherished with utmost respect, everything else goes right. And I think he's off to something. If we can get this right, many things are going to flow in line with that. And so to pray, hallowed be your name, Dallas Weaver would say, should be said like this, may your name be treasured and loved. May your name be cherished and loved. And so the primary orientation of our hearts is to see God's name treasured and loved, to see his character honored. It's very similar to a way that a son or a daughter would want to see their mother's name or their father's name highly esteemed. And, and that's important to us, and I know it's important to me, and I know it's important to you, because you remember what it was like in elementary school in the playground. You remember what it was like in junior high school in the playground. And whenever someone could diss you, someone could say whatever, someone could talk about you, but the, the moment that someone brings up your mother in, a, in the playground, those are fighting words. Your mother's so dumb. Wait a second, let me take my jacket off for a second here. Why? Because we want to see our, the name of our parents hallowed. We want to see the name of our mother hallowed. We want to see the name of our father respected. And when it's not respected, there's something that happens inside of us that says that is, that is not right. Jesus is saying, listen, we should live with the kind of orientation of our hearts to see God's name hallowed. The first petition is about God's glory. Now, I want to come back to the context of what I read to you just a few moments ago. Because Jesus is critiquing people for doing things for their glory. And this is why he brings it up. Jesus says, listen, when you pray in the synagogues, don't go out in the street announcing it to everyone. Why? Because you're doing it for your own glory. When you give to the poor, don't announce everybody, we're about to give to the poor right now, and we're going to celebrate this, and look how much I'm giving. Don't announce it like that. After he gives the Lord's Prayer, he talks about fasting. He says, when you fast, wash your face. Don't let everyone know you're fasting because that's just another way of you getting glory for yourself. Jesus knows something about us. He knows that we have a tendency to live not for his name, but for our name. Not for his glory, but for our glory. Not to hallow his name, but to hallow our name. And so when we pray this prayer, this is a prayer of reorientation, a prayer of recenteredness. Because perhaps today, more now than ever, we are a generation that is overly preoccupied with our names. Now, at the end of 2013, the Oxford uh, Dictionary came out with the word of the year in 2013. The word of the year was selfie. 2013's word of the year was the word selfie. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with this word, it refers very simply to a picture taken by yourself of yourself. And the selfie phenomenon is, it's everywhere. I mean, President Obama got in trouble for taking a selfie at Nelson Mandela's thing, you know. 
He got in trouble for that. After the service, I said, even the Pope is getting in on this. The Pope is taking selfies. What is the world coming to? The Pope is taking selfies here. And I'm not here to, I'm not here to, you know, to judge, I'm not here to condemn, you know, I, I have my share of selfies as well, I put mine up as well, you know, and so, I'm in the boat with everybody here, okay? The, the, the rise of selfies in our culture speaks to what sociologists are identifying as a rise of narcissism. It is. That's right. It, it, it's, a, it's a rise in our culture to get people to notice us, to get people to see us, to get people to affirm us. The driver of our lives is for our name, our lives to be exalted. Now, I, I read an article along these lines called The Selfie Syndrome, how social media is making us narcissistic. And the central thought of the article that I agree with is, is that many people use social media as a platform to glorify themselves, to glorify their name. And this is one of the ways in our society that we hallow our own name. And so look what I did and look what I accomplished and take a look at me and show me some praise and, and, and give me some accolades and show me some kudos because we want our names to be hallowed. And instead of living for the glory of God's name to be treasured in love, we want to live for the glory of our names to be treasured in love. And when this happens, no wonder there's so much comparison that we have with other people. No wonder there's so much criticism that we have of other people. Whenever we, when, no wonder there's so much uh, uh, competition that we have with other people because if somebody else's name is being glorified, that means my name is not glorified. If somebody else is being exalted, that means I'm not being exalted. And so no wonder there's so much rampant criticism and comparison and competition in our world. We want to see our names hallowed. And deep down inside, this narcissism, I believe, is, is, there's a deeper root to this than just being narcissistic. I believe this, the rise, the selfie culture, the selfie syndrome, really is, is a deep yearning for validation, a deep yearning for affirmation. And our heart longs for validation, and so all we can do is we can think of is, is how can someone affirm me? How can someone let me know I'm doing okay? How can someone hallow my name? Now this past week, I was uh, every now and then I'll just look through the Billboard 100 to see you know what songs are out. I start listening to some songs and and I came across uh, one song by the very uh, unique performer uh, Lady Gaga, and um, and her song Applause is one of the most popular songs of our day, and and the chorus is very simple and, and it really captures a culture that's looking for validation. And here here's the chorus of it: I live for the applause, applause, applause. I live for the applause, applause. Live for the applause, applause. You know the song. <laughs> We can all sing it together. I'm sure we can. <laughs> Live for the way you cheer and scream for me the applause, the applause, the applause. I mean, this is songwriting, everybody. We're talking about real songwriting ability. But what is she saying? She's saying, validate me. Let me know I'm okay. Hallow my name. And this is how we're tempted to live in the world. And so this is why Jesus, and here's the connection between our Father and hallowed be your name. Jesus is saying, the only way you can pray hallowed be your name 
is if you first receive validation from our Father. Once you receive validation from our Father, at that point, you are free enough to pray, hallowed be your name. But if you do not receive the validation and the affirmation and the love from the Father, we live our lives trying to receive validation and affirmation. Therefore, we want to do anything that we can to get people to affirm us, to let people know that we're okay. But Jesus said, if you're going to pray, hallowed be your name, you can't pray it without our Father. And my prayer is that in the weeks as we're looking at this prayer, that we would live in the love of the Father. That we would embrace the love that he has for us. That we would live in that place of affirmation and validation. Out of that place where we don't have to start reaching for validation from other people. Just let me know. Am I okay? Am I doing all right? Did you like my status? Did you like my picture? Whatever. And, and No, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And there's a deep connection between our Father and deep connection with hallowing his name. And if we do not pray that our Father and live in that space, we end up living trying to make a name for ourselves. Now this idea of making a name for ourselves is not something that you struggle with alone, not something I struggle with alone. Actually, this is found very, uh, in the very early pages of Scripture. In the very early pages of Scripture, we find the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, there was people in the land that they wanted to build a tower. And the reason they wanted to build a tower wasn't because they were looking for better affordable housing. It wasn't because of overcrowding and we need to build some more high residential areas here. The reason that they built the tower was this. And this is what Genesis 11 says. It says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves. And this is stamped into every single one of us, part of our fallen shadow side. That we live to make a name for ourselves. That we live to be seen by others. And their attempt to make a name for themselves, essentially to get their names hallowed, ultimately led to their destruction. And every time the goal of our lives, the, the, the driver of our lives, is to make a name for ourselves, it leads to destruction. And so whether it's on your job, I need to make a name for myself. It's it, no wonder uh, families are destroyed. No wonder relationships are tarnished because the, the primary driver of my life is to make a name for ourselves. And it, also, and it leads to destruction. No wonder there's so much sickness when people are trying to make a name for themselves and, and drugs and addiction and everything because we, we are overworking at the expense of our self, at the expense of our health, because we're trying to make a name for ourselves. It ultimately leads to destruction. But the way of the kingdom of God is totally opposite. And when the goal of my life, the driver of my life, is to hallow God's name, that leads to life. And so as we, I want to apply this to our lives. What does this mean? It can seem very ethereal. It can seem nebulous. So, well, how will God's name? I can pray that. But what does this mean tomorrow morning? What does this mean for my parenting? What does this mean in my education? What does this mean in my job? What does this mean with my purchases? What does this mean? How does this change our lives? And very simply, this is what I'd say. To pray on a regular basis for God's name to be hallowed forces us to examine the ways we have spent more time and energy hallowing our own names. It's a prayer that gets to our motives. Why do we do what we do? Is it for his name? Or is it for my name? Is it for his 
exaltation or is it for my exaltation? And so to pray this prayer on a regular basis, and I've been praying this over the last few weeks, and I've, I, it's been amazing to see what's come to the surface in my own life of things I want to do, not for God's name, but for my name. Now in the near future, uh, this is the question we need to wrestle with. Are my decisions based on howling God's name or are my decisions based on howling my name? Now in a few years, uh, one of the directions that I see us going as a church is to start different communities of New Life Fellowship, different expressions of churches around the city, that new, new lives will emerge. And as I've been thinking about this, as I've been uh, strategizing and talking to staff about it and, and working out the kinks and timeline and all that, what does it mean to have a new life in a different part of Queens, new life in a different part of the city, I started asking myself this question. And it's amazing what comes to the surface. There's a deep part of me that wants the glory of God, that wants God's name to be exalted for people to come to Christ. But if I'm honest with myself, there's also a shadow side within each and every one of us that says, am I doing this to, for the glory of God's name or am I doing this for the glory of New Life Fellowship's name? Am I doing this for the glory of God's name or am I doing this for the hallowing of my name? And when you look at your own life in many different areas, we are tempted to hallow our name. Now some of you in this room, when it comes to education, God has gifted you education. God has given you a great privilege and opportunities to get an education, whether it's a college degree, whether it's a graduate degree, whether it's a postgraduate degree. And the question that we need to be wrestling with as, as you think about your education, as you think about the knowledge that God has given you is this, am I stewarding this? Am I using this for the purpose of God's name to be hallowed? Or am I simply using this so I can get some more recognition for my name to be hallowed? And so in the realm of education, when you think about our lives, to pray, hallowed be thy name, means, Lord, how can I use my education for the hallowing of your name? For some of you in your job, God has given you position, God has given you titles, God has given you success in some realm of business. And to pray, hallowed be your name, means that we use that power, we use that success, we use that influence, we use our title, our position, not simply so that my name could be hallowed, but on the job that God's name might be hallowed. A very simple, a very you know, practical example, or another thing, like getting dressed in the morning, going shopping for clothing. Now, listen, I like to wear nice stuff. I like to go to the mall and buy something that'll look nice. But there's a fine line, and we have to know within our own mind, where is that fine line where I am now purchasing things for the sake of my own name, so that I can be seen and validated by other people, so that I can be affirmed and get my own name hallowed. This applies to the way that we manage our money. That to make money is not as a means to get our name hallowed, but money becomes a way to hallow God's name. This is why generosity and tithing and giving and practicing generosity is so important. Because every time you give, every Sunday you give, and you practice generosity, what you're essentially saying is this, Lord, the deep desire of my heart is not to make a name for myself with my resources. The deep desire of my heart is to see your kingdom and your name hallowed. Therefore, I give to your kingdom generously. It's a whole new way of living our lives. Then to live to see our money as a means for our own name. We see it as a means of hallowing God's own name. Applies to how we volunteer and how we serve in, in church ministries. 
I've come from many different cultures where the more ministries you're involved in, the more praise you get. And so as a result, everyone wants to be involved in every single thing because there's a sense of validation that you receive. Because I'm involved in X, Y, and Z. Look at so-and-so. She's involved in 15 ministries. Sure, her house is falling apart, but look what she's doing for God. And it's so easy to live howling our own name. This applies to the way we work in the workplace. When you go to the workplace and then you carry, if you're a Christian, you carry the name of God. Your life is wrapped up in God if you're a Christian. Your name is hidden in His name. And so the way that we work in the workplace is to hallow His name. This is why as a Christian, you're not involved in gossip. This is why as a Christian, you come to work on time and you work with all the energy that you can. Because you are using the resources, the time, the energy, the strength, not for your name. There's a larger purpose of your life now. It is to hallow His name. Because your name now is in His name. And and the, and the non-Christian world knows this. This is why there's so much, uh, whenever there's a scandal with a Christian, there's so much pain in the world. Because even the non-Christians know you're supposed to be hallowing God's name. And when the scandal comes up, all of a sudden it breaks people's hearts. Because Christians and non-Christians are like, well, there's something, I might be an atheist, but I know you're supposed to be hallowing God's name. And there's something wrong about this. We carry the name God. This applies to parenting your kids. If you're a parent, we can parent in such a way where we're looking to do it to get our names out. We want our kids to do our will. We want our kids to get into the schools, the best schools in the world. Why? Well, it makes me look good as a parent. <laughs> makes me look good. My name gets out as, as opposed to God. What does it mean for me to help steward my child in such a way that you want to take them? so that they may hallow your name. Jesus is not against dressing well. He's not against having money. He's not against having an education. He's not against being successful in business. What he is against is us having all these things and doing it for the purpose of hallowing our own names. This is why, in in reverse, right afterwards, he says these words. He says, let your light shine before others. So let your light shine. So that they may see your good works. And not give you praise, but they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now how in the world do we do this? How in the world do we live in this place? How in the world do we translate what I just said to living tomorrow morning? And very simply, I've already told you what it is. And I'll just repeat it again. To come to a place where we say, Lord, hallowed be your name must flow out of living in the love of the Father. And if we're not living in the love of the Father, we cannot pray, hallowed be your name, because our lives will essentially be a perpetual exercise of longing and looking for validation that others want to give us. And so what does it mean? Jesus Christ died, he resurrected, he sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority given to him, and he's done all that so that you can hear the words spoke that God spoke over him in his baptism, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and you are well pleased that we would live in that space, live in that place of intimacy and receiving love from the Father, out of which we say, Lord, hallowed be your name. And if we cannot pray, hallowed be your name, then we can't pray the next thing that Pete's going to talk about next week. 
We cannot pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. If I can't pray, hallowed be your name, that means I'm wrapped up in my kingdom still. I'm wrapped up in my will still. And so to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, means we first must pray, hallowed be your name. I want to invite the worship team to come forward as we close here. And I want to give us a moment of just stillness and silence. Now listen, this past week, preparing sermons can be brutal. And as I was praying this past weekend, just going through the sermon, when you're wrestling with this kind of thoughts and content, it's amazing what comes to the surface in my own life. And I've seen all the ways, oh, I did that to hallow my own name. I did that for my own. And so I want to give us a, 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 some space right now. I imagine there are decisions that you're making that are not for the hallowing of God's name, that are hallowing for your name. And God wants to reorient our lives. There are people who make purchases, exorbitant purchases on things, cars and houses and etc. And it's really for the hallowing of our own name. And so today is an opportunity for us, for the, for the Spirit of God, to do some heart surgery inside of us. So that when we wake up tomorrow morning, we would say, Lord, may the primary orientation of my heart be not for my personal validation from others, May it be from the hallowing of your name. And so let's just fall. You might just want to close your eyes for a moment. And sit and, and, and just reflect perhaps on maybe a decision that you have made this past week. Or a decision you're thinking about. And all of a sudden it's come to the surface. Oh, wait a second. This has all been about my name being hallowed. May you come to a place where you receive the love of the Father. And may he embrace you and may you receive his embrace to live for the glory of his name. So let's just pause for a moment and then we'll go into a song of, of worship and singing. But let's might just close your eyes right where you're at. Maybe you just want to pray to yourself, Lord, teach me, help me to hallow your name. Show me, give me the, the strength, the desire to live to see your name hallowed. So let's pause just for a moment. Father, the temptation in the world is to live in such a way that we become the center of the universe, longing for our names to be happy. And Lord, your desire for us is to live in a place where we recognize that you have an everlasting love for us and over us. And we don't have to live from a place of striving and reaching and exhausting ourselves we can live out of a place of centeredness out of your love. And so, Lord, today and for the rest of this week as we pray, hallowed be your name, may you show us all the areas of our lives that we are doing things and making decisions, not for your glory, but for our glory. May you transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform the way we make decisions so that ultimately your name would be praised. And so, Lord, we sing to you now as an expression of gratitude. We sing to you now as an expression of worship. 
And as our praises go up, may your name be hallowed by our lives. We offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, let's all stand and sing together. As we close here, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And to my left, we have the Lord's table. The Lord's table is a reminder that the Father, because of His Son Jesus, invites us to commune with Him, to eat at His table. He covers us with His love and says, you can take up this meal. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you can come up the center aisle and dip the bread in the cup and may it be a reminder of He has died and resurrected so that you would have access to the Father to live in that place of affirmation and validation. And so that's the Lord's table. To my right, we have our prayer team. And I imagine that some of you have been very connected to the Our Father message last week. You've been dying for validation. And you realize, I have not experienced the true love of the Father. Yet I experienced church, I've experienced some of the Bible, but, but it hasn't become a real genuine experience in my life living in that place of His love. And so if you're at that place right now, if you realize I, you've been reaching for validation from everyone, whether it be through social media, whether it be through the way you manage your money, the way you spend at your job, your school, you've been just searching for validation, you realize, I'm, it's exhausting. I'm tired of that. I want to live in a center place in the love of the Father. That His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy becomes the primary thing that identifies my life. And while validation is great and affirmation is wonderful, that's not the place out of which I live. I don't live out of that place. I live out of the place of the love of the Father. And so if, you, if, if you're, there's a longing in your soul for that, you can come up for prayer. For whatever you have need for, physical uh, hardship, emotional distress, we'd love to pray for you. But the goal of the Christian life is to live in the love of the Father. And if we don't get that right, we're not going to get anything else right. And so as we close here, downstairs, still be downstairs with Sarah and Glenn. If you're interested in small groups, you can go down there for more information and connect with them there. There's some refreshments down there as well if you're new here. And our pastor will be down in the lobby area. We'd love to meet you. But as we close here, I'm going to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. This is a posture of receiving blessing. If you're new here, we close every service like this because this is the posture of the Christian, receiving the love of the Father. The orientation of the world is to grasp. The posture of the Christian is to receive to have our hearts and our hands open in this posture. And so with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. And may He keep you. May He shine His face upon you and may He flood you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a new experience of truth of the love of the Father. That it is yours. And may this week be a different week for you. Not living out of a place of reaching for affirmation and validation, but living out of the censored place of the Father's heart. And may you be able with Christians around the world to pray, not just pray, but to live, that His name be hallowed through our lives. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the affirming name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. Have a good week.